everybody. This is Talk Like a Lady, and this is part two of Sierra Simone's podcast. Enjoy! Ah, okay. So you have two babies. I do. Um, do you have a parenting like are you stay at home because you you write full-time right yeah so I write full-time now so for the last five years I've been at home Mm -hmm. and it is almost harder than working away from home (laughs) um there are so now that I've done both you know I, I hope that I can talk knowledgeably without sort of um making one way or the other sound bad. The advantage of working from home is that you are very flexible. So if a kiddo is sick, if there's a field trip you want to go on, you know, if there's a doctor's appointment, like you don't have to go through a boss to arrange that time. That's amazing. It's a huge gift. Um, but it does also mean because you can be flexible, you are always the flexible one. And so just sort of by default, you end up spending a lot of your day doing household and mom things that I think if you were working outside of the home would not be the case um, because it would just be harder. There would be a a barrier. Mm -hmm. So um, I love it. And then also it carries with it like a unique set of problems. Um, my kids, now that they're older, they're nine and 11, they understand a little bit more that like work is work and that like mommy just, she doesn't just exist at home as a, she's just hanging out at home. All right. Day. Like she's just like our nanny bot. Just like fucking <laughs> watching TV and right. eating popcorn all day. Right. Exactly. I think they, they kind of get more. And because my, um, well, being an author is a really expansive job. I think you, you probably know this because you talk to so many authors, but we're not just writing books, which is hard enough. You know, we're also doing marketing. We're also responsible for the actual technical publishing parts. We're responsible for uh, publicity, our own social media, like business problems, tax problems, like all of that. Is, it's just us. Like we're an entire company, but just one yeah. person. So, um, it's definitely, it's definitely a balance, but I try to remember how I was parented, <laughs> which was very free range, let's call it. Yeah. Like, I mean, it was the eighties and nineties. Yeah. Like Man, my, those kids can just do what they want. They can just do what they want. So I was like a super weird kid, like playing outside with weird games. And then my mom would take me to the library and she'd be like, get whatever you want. And then I would, I would get VC Andrews. I would get Stephen King. I yes. would get, she, oh, she still VC had, Andrews. oh my gosh. It explains so much about me, the, what I write now that mm-hmm. I loved VC Andrews. Um, yes. What? That was, was my sexual fucking... awakening. Like that's oh, what yeah. I, I, Chris that's what I credit. <laughs> it's my, my not OTP. okay. It's not okay, but it was like, it just was, I loved VC This Andrews. entire series like one of the elements in it was like my like ode to flowers in the attic. Like I had wanted to write this trope for so long, but it's so taboo that I was like, I have to build an entire world where this would make sense, <laughs> where people can be okay with it. Yes, it's actually actual on the actual brother. Actual brother. <laughs> I'm looking Half at it. Half brother's right on now. there too. <laughs> Half brother. Eh. Actual brother. Eh. 
So VC Andrews definitely wrote things on the on the Simone scale. Yes. Um, uh-huh. My mom really she had from her. Uh, she was probably in high school when these books came out. She had Clan of the Cave Bear, and. <laughs> Have you read it? No, but I've seen it. And oh, I yeah. think I know. Isn't that like Daryl Hannah's in the movie? I haven't yeah. seen the movie. I How much so. Neanderthal like, sex do they like, have in the movie? Because there's a lot in the book. I'm going to go ahead and say that it's less. Less. Okay. Just like Fifty Shades was like 50 very shades much less than what the book was. Right. Because then it would be like a Showtime show and not oh, like a movie. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Theaters. I don't even know if it'd be on Showtime. Skinamax. It'd definitely be on Skinamax. Like, <laughs> I don't know. Stars is pretty good. Stars. <laughs> yeah. Well, now. now. Right. Fair. Yeah. So um, I really free range, my mom was. And so I read a lot of stuff that most kids don't read, like Anne Rice and Stephen King, V.C. Andrews, um, Clan of the Cave Bear. And so I really kind of, <laughs> I really value that I, w- I had such a free-range parenting experience because I think that it made me into the weirdo I am today. And I really like the weirdo I am today. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> turns so, out. Yes. Turns out. See, you know what? I'm a weirdo. This is the... Uh, tarot card that you pulled for me earlier, Judgment. This is me looking back on my past and thanking it for the gifts it's given me in the present. See, we, our tarot card drawing at the beginning, like before we start recording, is probably the best part. <laughs> we don't even have to try anymore. That's it. We're done. You won. Well, you won talking. Tarot. Yeah. You've achieved. I tarot. mean, you, you win the one card draw. Yes. <laughs> so... <laughs> Are you a free range parent now? I uh, you are know you what? a mix? I'm a mix. I'm a hybrid. I would really, I would really love to, but inherently, I am too anxious to like actually <laughs> do it. Um, so, but I try. Like, I try to fight against that anxiety because I really want my kids to be bored. I know that sounds like a weird thing, but I am a big believer that boredom, uh, like begets creativity. It forces you to make lateral associations. It forces you to think differently. Um, and so I want them to be bored. And I also have one, when I was pregnant with my first kiddo, I made myself one rule because I knew I was probably not going to be a great mom and I'm not, but I was like, I can do this one rule. And then by the time they graduate, I can say that I did this one thing and I did it well. And that was no shortcut answers for anything. So you can't say because I said so. No, because I said so. That's my favorite. (laughs) I mean, sometimes ironically, I'll say that. Uh, Because I said so. Um, But I try not to give shortcut answers about science things. If they ask a question about how something works, if I don't know, we go look it up. I don't give shortcut answers about politics, about sex, about death. Everything gets the, gets as much information as I, as I can give. And they're like, it's okay. I don't want to know. Yeah. Actually they are like, they get super bored (laughs) with my answers like 10 seconds in and they're like, okay, okay, okay. But, um, I think that it's made them more curious which right now is hard because they ask a lot of questions. And so that's obviously like, man, it would be nice not to have to answer 20 questions at that time. Right. But like, can you so they're please both for the curious love. Like that? They're both pretty curious. My, my son more than my daughter a little bit, but yeah. See, I think my oldest is very smart and, but he's just kind of, 
more, I don't know, aloof a little bit. Like he's yeah. just like, whatever he's like, he'll just do whatever. But my youngest is just the most curious little shit that I I've, love it. yeah, <laughs> I like he will, he'll ask a question and if he doesn't understand it, he's like, mom, I don't understand. <laughs> yeah. But why? Uh, yes. Yes. So it's like, I, yeah, with him, I have to go into far more detail and right. Son, I'm yeah. sorry. I don't know about all these physics things <laughs> and I can read it and I still can't explain it to you. But I like that though. That makes it I like, but I think that's also keeping an uh, open communication and yeah. Yeah. Well, I think curiosity and compassion if you can engender those two things in a kid they're going to grow up to be a good citizen because curiosity leads to knowledge and compassion leads to care so i think if you make those two things your goals you're really likely to end up with a kid who turns into an adult that you want to know um i don't think any of us want to know like blobs like have you ever met adults who are just like what are you doing with your life (laughs) you know like they don't have hobbies they don't have interests they don't have things that light them up they're not doing a job they care about there's not any kind of job they'll ever care about doing and you're sort of like why are you what why are you what are you doing yeah why are you (laughs) what are you doing doing? (laughs) how's it going you're and good? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. They're always good. So, like, I wouldn't want to be friends with a person like that, so I don't want to raise humans like that. Like, right. I want to raise kids that I want to be friends with when they're adults. Same. Yeah. Yeah. I hope they want to be friends with me. I know. They won't for a while. Listen. But then they'll but circle back. For a while. They always, yeah, they it's circle just back. like yeah. always a circle. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. So... You said five years ago you started writing, like, kind of, you quit your job quit at the library. Job. Yeah. What was that final straw that you're like, okay, I can do this? Was it just you'd <sighs> sold enough? Like, I want to say that it was selling enough, but it wasn't because I actually quit right before the first Sierra book came out. Um, but I think it was having written three books for myself, the three books in the Markham Hall series that really made me fall in love with writing again. That made me think, you know what, I want to do this and I'm going to be doing this in 20 years, like no matter what happens. And so I'm going to build my life around that. Um, And one thing that someone told me, and I wish I could remember who, because it's like bing, words of wisdom, but I think is really valuable for women entrepreneurs to hear, is that the money almost finds you. Like when you take that leap of faith and you're like, my money needs to grow this much. I need to earn this much. Um, you know, I don't, I don't believe in like the secret, but it's almost like the secret. Like you, it's you, the manifest, other secret. you manifest it. Like you speak it into the universe, you take that leap of faith. And then all of a sudden it just comes like the work comes, the money comes, the, the infrastructure comes. The characters um, come. I think Tayana of Good Bodies KC actually just talked about this. I don't know if it was an Instagram post or a story, but she talks about jumping into photography full time mm-hmm. and how she grew her income year after year. And really it was that leap of doing your passion full time that then all of a sudden, you know, you can earn a living at it. Yeah. But she, it requires that she faith. She just said that she's earned more in these two months than she like did all last year just from quitting her job and doing photography full-time yeah so I mean it's incredible she's really good she's really good if you're listening out there and you have your dream 
quit your job. No, I'm just quit your fucking job and just do it. I also think that like my one barometer for like being a human is I have to have health insurance. And so like that was always my goal is like, can I feasibly pay for health insurance if I need to? That's my like, no. Yeah. <laughs> well, you could marry Probably someone not. who has health insurance. So <laughs> I did that. Good job. Yeah. Way to go. Way to go. <laughs> did he always want to be a police officer? No, he wanted to be an architect, which the hero in my Whoa. current series is an architect. So that's that's drawn from hmm. the deep well of Bethany. But Ids. is he the hot cop? Hmm. He is a hot cop. Yeah, <laughs> he is. Yeah, but he's yeah. really tall. My husband yeah. or the hero? <laughs> no, yes, are we talking husband, about the book? Your the husband. hot cop or the no? Husband, my the my husband, cop. he is like six foot three. Oh, so no, he's tall. He's yeah. tall. But yeah, he used to be, I used to want to be an architect and he actually went to school for architecture for a couple of years and then switched to criminal justice. That is a big switch. Yeah. Well, he knew because the UMKC school, I guess it was just one year, the UMKC school feeds into the K-State school for architecture. Mm -hmm. Um, So he was going to have to leave and go to Manhattan and he couldn't leave all of this (laughs) (laughs) behind. Obviously. Obviously. But I think he's such a, I say this with, utmost love and like lust but he is an excel spreadsheet with a male organ and so um i he's like very um analytical and so i think when he realized that architecture was largely creative and creative (laughs) i think he realized that what he really wanted to be doing was like architectural engineering Mm -hmm. which is when an architect hands you their like beautiful but wacky ass plans and then you're like okay but here's how we make the building stand up right right um like this would fall over yes exactly so he um he would have to have like switched and done all this stuff so he's like you know what i'm just gonna go into criminal justice and then he did and then he did it. And, and then now he, he has handcuffs. He's very much like he makes a decision and then like that's the decision. The end. Hmm. Nice. I know. Isn't that like alien? Yes. Yeah, it's weird. <laughs> I have that's this weird. thing called an overthinking brain. Yes. Same. <laughs> hard, hard same. Hard fucking same. I, gotta I talk might make you, a decision, but I got to talk you down off for... those fucking ledges. Yeah, so yeah, I've been doing better. I know. Good job, boo. Yeah, thank you. You're welcome. (laughs) Uh, How many books have you published? Oh, my God. You know what's funny is I don't even know now. Well, you're going to have to count. (laughs) I'm going to have to count. we're going to have to do some math. We're going to have to do some math. Goddamn math. I think it's around 15. Woo-wee. So, yeah, that's a lot. I will say romance is a quick genre. So um, most romance authors are writing at least two books a year. Um, some, if you're someone like Lauren Blakely or Susan Stoker, very prolific authors, they're writing more like seven or eight books a year. So like, it's a really, um, it's really fast, fast iteration. Um, and there are, are they some like little, short novels or are they I like think they are probably they're shorter than mine because okay, that's like Jesus I mean Christ. but that's not hard <laughs> mine are long right um but I mean there are some who are only writing one book a year most other genres typically are a book a year except for fantasy which is like whenever George R. R. Martin gets around right. to it he's like <laughs> it's been 15 years it's been 15 years maybe I'll write a book now um, I met him. And literary fiction. You did? I did. I heard that he looks like a dirty Santa Claus. He really, truly <laughs> does. He looks like a dirty Santa Claus with like 
<laughs> a page boy cap do we on. mean do we mean like romance novel dirty or no, no i didn't want to write his face uh, no i don't I was, think so. i was joking yeah, yeah no i know what you, you could use the beard as like reins yeah, <laughs> i could have you're right but he was really nice i've heard that he's me like very friendly and he was very friendly yeah so do you have uh friends in other genres of writing I do so actually some of my best friends write young adult books still because okay. we met you know back when we right. all writed young adult we all wrote writed that's the tank we seven write talking. it yeah we write it that's the tank seven talking <laughs> um when we all wrote young adult books together um I have some friends who write adult fantasy um and what I love about romance is that it's such an expansive genre that you can know people who write completely different kinds of romance. So right. I have friends who write romantic suspense. I have friends who write like really, really emotional, um, like gut wrenching kind of, you know, the Kennedy Ryan style romance where it's just going to take mm. you on this like huge cathartic ride. I know people who write paranormal. I know people who write, you know, just like every cozy romance. So people who write everything. And that's kind of what I love about romance is no matter what kind of idea I have, there's a place for it. Right. So when I was like, I'm going to write a book about orgies and human sacrifice, there's, <laughs> I've never had a romance reader come up to me and be like, this isn't romance. You know, everyone has been like, sure. This isn't romance. (laughs) How dare you? But do you, you, like, have you come across uh, authors of other genres that aren't your friends that are judgy of the romance? yeah. Yeah. I mean, sadly, it's almost kind of the default assumption outside of romance is that romance is, um inherently uh plebeian (laughs) you know that it's kind of a pedestrian genre but Um, funny it makes the most money but funny it makes the most money a third of all fiction books sold are romance books combined like the sales of romance the romance genre are equal to or greater than every other genre combined so mystery (laughs) fantasy all of that. And that I am shocked. Well, and what's interesting is I just found I'm out not, this shocked. week that that is um all traditional publishing numbers. So that's just Oh shit. So that's not like So that's not including self-published yeah. indie romance because Holy Amazon shit. doesn't furnish those numbers. So if you factored Seriously? in how much Nuh-uh. how much indie authors sell, sell, then it would be even more. Oh my god. Like it would probably be more like one of every two books sold as romance. For sure. Yeah. Well, Isn't that those nuts? aren't factored in? Yeah, for sure. Like, yeah. Why? Uh, Isn't that nuts? So uh, that's but amazing. It's funny. I think people, people in other genres, I think, uh, and this is like a huge blanket statement because obviously there's wonderful, empathetic people everywhere. But right. I have encountered some people who really um, have the belief that if something's popular, it's lesser than. That's not art. Oh, right. God. This idea that there's like high art and low art, right? So like the low art is for the masses and they just aren't smart enough to understand the art we're making. Um, and I really do think they want to cling to that belief because they're making less money. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's their trade-off. You know, that's the thing they can tell themselves as they're sleeping it's at night. It's really is, yeah, art. Yeah. Is that they're making real books. So, I mean, I... I don't want to cast every other genre into right. a bad light, but there are those people who really, really frown on romance and really look down on it. When people who are in romance can tell you that it's the most feminist, the most inclusive genre out there, um, in addition to being 
powerful. I mean, these are narratives that shape people's emotions. I mean, that's incredibly powerful. You can't turn up your nose at that, but people still do. That's why I, I love it. Yeah, me too. I love it. Truthfully, like I, you put a book in front of me and nine times out of 10, I'm going to read it and love it, but mm. I do. Yeah. Well, I try to well, read it. I mean, I'm only going to put so many in Carly, front of Carly, you're myself. like a cat of <laughs> Yeah, of I'm like, Bleh. no. Turn up <laughs> my nose. No, that's old food in my bowl. Put new I'm gonna, food in I my bowl. I would like new food, please. <laughs> <laughs> we need to switch it up a bit with Are this we? question. Okay. What is a world topic that's facing women that you would like to talk about? Oh, this is a really good question. Um, okay, let me think here. And now I'm like, oh, everything's so important. <laughs> like, how can I, I want to talk about everything. All um, of the stuff. All of the stuff. Can I, I mean, say, I feel like you have Let's talk about, about coronavirus. Coronavirus, <laughs> climate change. Aren't you so glad you tuned in to this cheerful podcast? Welcome <laughs> to our cheerful podcast. Can I talk about something that's actually pretty small, Yes. Like it's a specific thing, but it affects women everywhere. Yeah. Yes. So in the last couple of years, I was diagnosed as anemic because I have incredibly heavy periods. And it wasn't until I switched doctors that I had a doctor who said, yeah, women can bleed this much because all the other doctors I had seen who were men were like, oh, you don't lose any more than three to four ounces of blood per menstrual cycle because that's what they learned in medical school. What? Uh, and I was like, okay. no, like I permit cycle. Yeah, I know, right? Like I am Sir. Huge clots. Like I have to change tampons and pads all the time. I'm really sorry for the male producer in the room who's listening. Sorry, to this. Tyler. Sorry. He's totally sorry. Into this Hashtag talk. half the sky. So <laughs> <laughs> So um anyway, I'm anemic because of heavy menstruation. And it wasn't until I had a doctor who was like, oh, this is why you're anemic. We're going to fix it. And then they did. There's a medicine called Lysteta that you can take that reduces your blood, um, your bleeding during your period. But when I was diagnosed with this, of course, the first thing you do is you go to Google and you're like, Google, tell oh, me everything. Do that. <laughs> and there are studies that have shown that women who are anemic because of menstruation um, can actually not like get normal iron levels for almost five years after getting their periods under control. Um, and Jesus. so, and they're continually overlooked by doctors. And so this idea that women don't actually bleed this much, this idea that if they're not feeling good during their period or they're feeling bad after oh, they just sort of need to like, PMS? right. Mm, that, yeah. You just need to chocolate. like ovary up and deal with it. Um, <laughs> and, and that's what we do. <laughs> And the people who authored the study, I think it was in Sweden, their conclusion was, was given the rate of anemia, like women who are anemic because they're bleeding heavily during periods, um, given the rate that they found during the study, they think that a huge number of women are actually dealing with anemia or borderline anemia and not knowing it. And so when you talk about like, here's an entire class of medical professionals who a, don't acknowledge this as a problem and B, have been operating with old information or misinformed, you know, uh, ideas for a long time. Like how many women are fatigued, exhausted, depleted, <laughs> and are not being given the help that they need. And then you start asking yourself, well, that's just in the West. So what does it look like for women 
who don't have access to regular health care, who don't have access to things like sanitary pads to track how much they're bleeding, where even the idea of getting a generic over-the-counter iron supplement is impossible. Right. And so here's this huge women's health issue that's just been ignored forever. Um, And yeah, like it really made me sad because I knew how I felt when I was anemic. Like every day was a struggle. And given that everything else women have to go through – the fact well, that they're you know, allowed to bleed slowly to death. <laughs> if you if you would have just had a baby in there, you wouldn't have been bleeding so much. So I think that that is Blech. like a specific a specific leaf on the tree of women's health issues, especially when it comes to women who have uteruses and the kind of medical care they receive. But it is something that's been on my mind lately. Yeah. Right. Because you're taking medicine now, do you feel better? Oh, yes. I'm not anemic anymore, and it's great. <laughs> right. I can never give blood because I'm always anemic. Yeah. I'll eat, like, a whole bag of spinach and try to give blood, and they're like, no thanks. <laughs> no thanks. We don't want your weak blood. Sorry, your blood floats. And I was like, well. <laughs> I tried. Goodbye. Goodbye. I'm just here for my free cookie. Thanks. <laughs> can I have a cookie still or what? <laughs> Oreos. Wait, or Bitch, you like can I have better? some juice in a cookie or not? <laughs> Uh, well, what do you do for fun? We're talking all this oh serious stuff. You know, it's so I'm such a cliche, but I read for fun. Um, I read somewhere between 150 and 200 books a year, and I Jesus. try to read a mix of genres. And um, I have narcolepsy, um, which is a disease that makes you sleep a lot, and so I also nap for fun. <laughs> Well, Me first too. of all, yeah. and naps I don't have are the best thing naps are <laughs> ever. Bomb. I've found recently that I have to take a nap every day. Well, that might be the anemia. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we should cut that out. <laughs> no, it's an issue. It's an issue. Listen, if I could have a nap every day, I would. It makes I me mean, very happy. Oh, it's so good. There's a there's a quiet room at work, and oh, that's yeah. my nap room. Yeah. Ooh, I'm about to be back. Bitch, don't come in there at three o'clock. <laughs> That's my That's time. When I get off. That's my time. That sounded way well, dirtier. Than yeah, that. it is. She's gonna be in that not quiet room. That's what that quiet room's for. <laughs> not quiet. Uh, no, it's for mm. napping. <coughs> it's for napping. Mm. It's fine. This is fine. So, do you have um, a me too moment that you would want to talk about? Yeah, actually. I have a couple that I had shared um, when the whole Me Too thing was going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and one happened when I was 11. There was an older neighbor boy like down the street and he had fondled my breasts. And the thing I, I took away from that was he had said in my ear, I'll stop if you want me to. And I remember I didn't say anything. Like I remember being like, it's, you know, it's okay. Um, and I, don't think it was, I didn't enjoy it. Like I, I hated every minute of it, but for some reason, the idea of telling him to stop was like, it didn't even seem like an option. Like, I don't know how to describe it because as an adult who was like, fuck everything, Artemisia rules. Right. <laughs> I'm okay. like, why didn't you just kick that kid in the nuts and, you know, move away? Cause 11, cause you 11, were little, you were a baby. It was a baby. But also, and also there's shock factor and there's, I totally know what you're saying. Yeah. Like it just didn't even seem like I could say no, even when he presented it as an option. And so uh, 
I was really fucked up about that for like a long time, like as a teenager. Um, and then I had a similar thing happen to me Oh, this a few years ago now. I was 28 or 29 and I was at a work event and a really famous male author, um, we were like leaving the, we were at a hotel. The event was at a hotel mm-hmm. and we were, a group of authors were leaving the hotel bar and, um, everyone was kind of doing the like round of hugs goodbye. And so when I leaned down to hug this author, he reached up and like palmed each of my breasts, like Ew. individually, very gross. Um, I don't like that. No, no, I didn't like it either, but I also kind of froze then too. Um, and in that circumstance, my mind was ticking through sort of like every possible scenario. Um, but the reality was like, I was a baby, nobody author and he's like a very huge deal. And so I didn't feel like I could react like professionally. Oh man. I probably would have tried to slap his face. (laughs) I know looking back, I'm like, I wish I would have because there were friends around me, you know, there were people around me that I trusted. Mm -hmm. And so I think I could have reacted in a visible way and they would have been there for me. But I also 100% understand that thinking though. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah. Yeah. It's the same. Well, it's just like so shocking. It's like, is this actually fucking happening? Right. But when there's somebody in power like that and you don't feel like you, when you're, when you don't feel like you're at that same level. Yeah. There's, and you've worked very hard to get where you're at and you're, yeah, it's, that makes total sense to me. And I think, you know, it's like you were saying, it takes a minute to sink in. Right. And really the dominant thought I had was escape. Yeah. Like that was a circumstance where I wouldn't have continued to let it happen, but it happened quickly enough that then all I could think of was escape, like like, get away, running to survive, you know? Um, and so, uh, I think what I really have learned from those, like comparatively, I mean, I'm not going to say that they're minor and like, uh, you know, sort of mitigate that they had emotional impact for me. But they really true, truly were situations where I ended up being safe in the end. Yeah. Um, what I learned from them, though, was that you cannot um, qualify someone's reaction to sexual assaults. Right. Like, you cannot categorize it. You cannot pathologize it because the human brain is designed to make you survive. Like, that is our like primary directive mm-hmm. is and to that's survive different for everybody and it's different for everyone. And so it's flight, fight or freeze. And those can look a thousand different ways, mm-hmm. but your brain is just trying to get you to safety. Mm-hmm. And so your brain doesn't know the difference between neighbor boy and bear, <laughs> you know, it doesn't right. know the difference between a lion's chasing me and this guy from work is chasing me. Like it just doesn't. And so it's reacting the same way it would react if you were on the savannah a hundred thousand years ago and you were being chased by a lion. Mm-hmm. And so there's a hundred different ways you can stand and fight, you can run, you can hide, you can be still and hope that the lion doesn't see you. Um, and all of those reactions happen so quickly you know, all those decisions happen. Yeah. yeah. That you can't pick it apart later and say, well, why didn't she do this? Why didn't she do that? Like, but I also think those reactions can change. Oh, sure. Yeah. I think so too. I mean, yeah. I think even now, like my, the difference between me and 11 and me and 28 was pretty different. And I think even now the difference between me and at 28 and me at 32 would be 
extremely different. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But that's because I've been, this is like the sad reality of being a woman, but you've been through it enough times that you can have a plan in place. Yes. You can make decisions. Yeah. 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 And that's like, that's almost more depressing. (laughs) So much. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's horrible. Okay. (laughs) On that note, what do you hate about being a woman and what do you love about being a woman? Um, okay. The thing I love about being, I'm going to start with what I love. Uh, the thing I love about being a woman is that the, the community of women is like such a gift and it's really difficult to describe the completeness of that gift. But I think that some, you know, we've all had moments in our lives where we've been surrounded by amazing women. Maybe it's a slumber party. Maybe it's a meeting at work. Maybe it's a trip, something where maybe it's like a room where you've just given birth and your mom is in there too. And your grandma comes and visit, you know, like you have this amazing sense of continuity and that continuity is actually in our DNA. Like we all have mitochondrial DNA, which is passed down to our moms. And so like we are an unbroken chain of mothers and daughters. And I think that like our DNA knows that and we know that, and then we replicate it in the community around us. And I think that that is something incredibly powerful. Like when I talk about what I hate about being a woman, it's really not about being a woman. It's about the world we live in and how the world sees women. But I think what I hate is the thing I mentioned earlier about human beings and human givers So I think I hate that there's still a lot of expectation for women to be human givers. So expectation for us to sort of just roll over and take every bad political decision, um, every, you know, kind of misogynistic microaggression, roll over and take male gynecologists who don't know (laughs) how much you can bleed during menstruation. You know, I think that... I think that the world still has a lot of default expectations for women that are damaging um, and that don't let women be flawed and make mistakes or be brave or be assertive or be ambitious. Like those are all things that men get to be Mm -hmm. um, and that women historically have not gotten to be. And so I think that I don't like that every time you're just trying to be yourself, you sort of come up against resistance Yeah, that's real annoying. It is. But I mean, like when you're in your 30s, this is the gift of your 30s is that you're like, fuck resistance, right? But I think what's hard is looking back at my teenage self and at myself in my early 20s who was still uh, like absorbing all these toxic messages and she didn't even know it. Right. And like then you have to spend your 30s being like, no, fuck that. Fuck that noise. Fuck that noise. Like so many things you have to fuck right off. You have to fix it. You have to shake it off. And so um, did you see that um, we shared it on our Instagram and I shared it? Yeah. And did you see that um, the thing about being a lady? Yeah. I don't think so. Okay. Afterwards, it's. It's and it's amazing. Cynthia Nixon is yeah. saying it all. Oh, I love her. It's I know. So powerful. It's, it's so just, good. We're gonna watch it together watch it. after yes. we're done. I'm it's, excited because that's. It's just like, like something you like, have to be sexy. Yeah. You have yeah. to be demure. You have they to said be like, a lady, and then to, it was all this different. Right, stuff. Oh. like you have to wear makeup, but yeah. you can't wear too much makeup, yes. and it's right. just like 
every single thing that's expected and it's just ridiculous. It's actually impossible to be everything. And so that's how you're stifled. Like that's how patriarchy works is that it, it makes it so like you do not get to self-actualize like, cause right. it's impossible. Cause you're constantly trying to be like, I need to be on a diet. I need to be working and I need to be a full-time parent and I need to be the best partner in the world. Right. And I should have, a I hobby, will never and sleep. I should volunteer and I should be on the PTA <laughs> and all the things that women should do stack up, stack up, stack up until you're suffocated by it. Yes. Um, and you can't, you cannot possibly stand up and do all of it. Right. But then when you add uh, just your personality in general, like right. I'm an introvert. Yeah. And so much of that is difficult in general. Yeah. And it, when we you don't add all those. For yes. the PTA. No, and we, we don't, don't want to be the room mom. No. Right. <laughs> no, the PTA and room mom, that makes me want to vomit. Yeah. yeah. But just, and you know, there's it's more than like, just being yeah. an introvert. It's just, there's so many different things about people that would make all of that harder. Yeah. Right. Ugh. Right. No, I don't like it. I don't, <laughs> I don't like it. I do like being do a woman, but I mean, no, yeah, it's really fine, but suck. whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Why are all these expectations put on me? Uh, are you good at taking compliments? No, but is anyone really? I don't think that I've ever met anyone who's really good at it. But I don't even know how I define good. My husband's actually pretty good at doing it because he's like, thank you. And then That's what I've on. been trying to do. Yeah. It's Guess hard, what? Though. Give yourself a compliment. Go. No. Ugh. No, I hate it. <laughs> no. Oh, I'm making like dinosaur noises over here. That's this is my really most hard. favorite. I always make pterodactyl noises. I'm assuming this is what a pterodactyl sounded like. Meh. <laughs> Is that I mean, it's like noise? a little bit like. No, I am not Mitch McConnell. <laughs> no, he's turtle. He is a turtle. Sorry, these are things we talk about. Yeah, we're weird friends. I like it. Did you guys? Oh, this is such a deep yeah, cut. Are. Did you ever watch the old Daily Show with John Stewart? Fuck yeah! yeah. And he would do the Mitch McConnell. Oh, I uh, love him turtle. so much. Yep. <laughs> yep. Yep. Oh, yep. so good. Him that and his like <laughs> Lindsey Graham, like Southern uh, Belle, like I do declare. Uh, I do declare. <laughs> God, I uh, love it. I hate oh, those guys. So what I would get, I I mean, listen, I love Trevor Noah, but what I would give to just have John Stewart on any show. I know. Ugh. I know. God, I love it. John Oliver has been like a real gift for <gasps> me. So much. Yeah. And like I really love that he made it his own thing, but Miss, and Samantha B. Yeah. I had really weird like sex crushes when I was in high school and John Stewart was one of them. I thought you were going to say That's Samantha Bee. That's not weird. B. I was like, yeah. Oh. I oh. <laughs> Carly is like. That isn't weird at <laughs> she's all. She's making oh. her That's Not Weird face. That's not weird. First of all, he now has like an anim- animal sanctuary. <gasps> yeah. What? Oh, and he did yes. all that work with 9-11 first yes. responders. <sighs> He's so a beautiful dreamy. human. He's a beautiful human. He's he, got like a, he got like a daddy beard. But wait, did you give yourself uh, a compliment? He's a silver fox. I see what you did there, lady. <laughs> he's I like, see what you did. How long can I deflect? Um, okay. We will call your ass out right here. <laughs> I, okay. I think that I am good at writing unexpected stories. I agree. <laughs> From I, the stories that I've read. I agree with that statement. 
<laughs> Thank you. I, I also think you're very knowledgeable on a wide variety of topics oh, thank you you're welcome Agreed. my top five strengths <laughs> really enjoy that compliment <laughs> <laughs> that Context, knowledge seeker in election <laughs> yes yes we're gonna write I'm it like, on the board it's gonna be a real thing it's gonna be a real thing yeah all right question time okay it's the question wheel <laughs> yeah. here's my question <laughs> One thing you would say to your younger self. Oh, <sighs> I'm trying to think, cause I think there's a lot of iterations of what I want to say, but I'm trying to think of the exact thing. Cause the other iterations are kind of cliche. Like it's okay to fail. You're going to make it through this. But I think I wish that I could tell my younger self that, um, the core of who you are is okay. And, um, that, Everything that gets um, rejected, the things that don't work, the things that fail, the friendships that fizzle out and break, the the heartbreaks, the stall, you know, the dead ends, all of that is the outside you interacting with the world. You know, it's kind of like your uh, electron force field, that sort of theory that you don't actually ever touch anything. It's really just like the force fields of your electrons that are interacting with the force fields of like something else's electrons. Um, the, the hard parts of being alive, so much of that is that external you and the core of you is okay. The core of you is enough. Um, and you're really just refining that core until you can be the most compassionate and curious person you can be. You just have a fucking way with words, lady. <laughs> it's like it's my job. <laughs> Jesus. I'm just, this whole time I'm just looking at her like with a big old grin on my face because she just makes me happy, this one. <laughs> I like to hear that. I would be no, sad really. if I made anyone happy. I kind of want to be your BFF now. <laughs> Everyone can be my BFF. Let's hang out now. Yeah. Let's hang out. Ooh. Okay, you ready? Yes. What's your favorite cuss word? Oh, cunt. Mine too. Yeah, it's a good yes. word. You know, it used to be and fuck. it shocks the fuck it out of people. It shocks people, except here's the thing. If you use it a lot, you forget that it shocks people. So sometimes <laughs> I do have people like come up to me and they're like, normally I don't like it when cunt is in romance books. Yeah, it's but whispered. Yeah, I didn't mind it when it was in your don't book. Don't read porn stuff. Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> Uh, I'm <laughs> no. trying to remember who posted it. Someone on Twitter a while ago. I'm not usually on Twitter.com, but while <laughs> RWA was in flames. Ooh, it was the best Twitter like I, Yes, that was like that the place to ever. go for news. So yes. I uncharacteristically got onto Twitter.com. I think it was, um, there's a historical romance author named Scarlett Peckham. And I think that she was the one who tweeted this. Uh, she someone had gathered together some of the words like cunt, fuck, shit, like the ones that, you know, Pearl, Pearl Clutchers really like freak out at. Yeah. Um, and had, <laughs> I mean the best ones, the best ones, the big ones. Um, uh, someone had gathered together their first noted, like when they'd first been written down mm -hmm. and how old like linguists think they are. And they're some of the oldest words in the English language. So people have been saying cunt and fuck for, Ten, you know, not 10,000 years. That's ridiculous. A thousand years. <laughs> Anglo-Saxon times. Because um, they're old English words. And so people yeah. have been saying these words for a really long time. So when people are like, oh, you know, these youths oh, and their okay. swear words. I'm like, 
I'm, blame bitch. it on the Saxons, man. Right, like, like talk uh, to go talk to King Harold about it. Like, like uh, <laughs> go talk to Ethelred the Unready. Like, you this guys, is, this was like plague area. This was like Beowulf words. That. Yeah, <laughs> like, come on, come on. The fuck, you know. I used to not like cunt, but I don't mind it as much. You've warmed now. up to it. Oh, I yeah. have much like a cunt. You've warmed up to, <laughs> <laughs> to its use. But I will say. Fuck is still my absolute Fuck favorite. Fuck is so it's versatile. It's stress relieving. Yeah, yeah, it's stress relieving. Yeah. It's sexy. Yeah. Like, I forget how much like the word cunt bothers other people. And then like uh, when we had that party the other night, and some people came over and I was like, what the fuck? Let's, let's, I don't know. I said something about cunt and they were just like, whoa, you're going there already? And I was like, mm-hmm. go, go on what, there. What do you mean? I was I here. Live, I live there. <laughs> I was, I was here just like, sorry morning. guys, here's the jello shots. <laughs> sorry, so the jello many. shots weren't here yet. <laughs> so next question. On the wheel. What was your sexual awakening? Oh, this is hard because I feel like I was pretty sexual from an early, from an early age, but I'm trying to think of like something I can pinpoint. Um, I think definitely Christian Bale in the 1994 Little Women. Oh my God. Lori. Lori. Yes. Yes, The new (sighs) Little Women is so good, but. Tim Timothy Chalamet. Mm-hmm. Timothy, is that how you say his name? Tim, I don't Timothy. Know. I don't know. He I saw a tweet once that said um he looks like an Italian, like a pointy Italian shoe that was cursed into being a real boy. And, oh. <laughs> and um I just he's not Lori for me because any of those sisters could snap him in half. Right. But Christian Bale is Lori is like mm, chef's kiss. <sighs> chef's kiss. But I really real. think that the first time the first times I can remember like feeling the kind of feelings that later I would describe as sexual was reading VC Andrews and We are VC <laughs> Andrews sisters. Yes. Uh-huh. And and Clan of the Cave uh-huh. Bear. Um <laughs> oh, cave and bears. I know. I'm like, this is why this is why I write what I do. <laughs> well, you know what? What's really funny though is even at a young age with VC Andrews, I remember thinking like, I sh- this is not okay. Like this I shouldn't okay. well, be feeling, but there's still, there's a lot in the romance genre that is still like, Taboo. I don't think I should feel this no, way, but I but do. Oh, but those yeah. feelings. Brain, yes. Brain, no. Vagina, yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, yes. Oh, 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 it's They're happening. Fight. Nope. She won. <laughs> she won. Yeah. I, um, I think, well, first of all, with V.C. Andrews, I, so I didn't have step siblings until I was eight. And that was around the time I first read Flowers in the Attic. So I still didn't feel like I had siblings. And I think that's what allowed me to enjoy it, like, without qualification because I was like Chris and Kathy sure because I didn't have a brother so I was like like, I totally did and I still (laughs) but I also think that people in particular this happens to women and has happened historically since the seven the late 1700s when novels became popular um people have been afraid that women cannot distinguish fiction from reality and so there's a lot always a lot of anxiety about you know, these women, they're reading novels and it's, 
bad for them that they're loving these lies. And then it evolves into what we see today where they're like, these women, they're reading, you know, 50 shades of gray. Does that mean they want to be tied up and beaten? You know, like we're worried about how dare they, how dare they. And there's so this anxiety about what women read and it turns into sort of policing what women read. Like women should read serious books. They should not read trash. Um, when any woman can tell you that we are really, really good at distinguishing fiction from reality. Like what? We're, no. I know. It's shocking that we Is can this do real? this. <laughs> <laughs> it's shocking, but we can differentiate between contexts and we can uh, disassociate, not in like a bad psychological sense, <laughs> but <laughs> in a good sense, because women are naturally like neurologically highly empathetic and really each Work of fiction is an act of empathy. And so as you read, you become more empathetic. It exercises your empathy neurons. Um, I love you. (laughs) So like to be- I want to be your friend. (laughs) To be a good human, read more fiction. That's the takeaway. (laughs) But it does mean that we're extremely gifted at being able to put ourselves into a narrative, into a character's shoes, and then easily step back out of it. Right. That is why I love- reading yeah every single book i have the story in my mind they become real people and yes. then i have book hangovers oh the book hangovers, God, the hangovers it's a worst. real thing those are rough all right i'm gonna spin the wheel last one last one last one yeah. all right okay are you ready yeah i'm ready <laughs> what's your your Biggest turnoff? Oh, hubris. That's easy. (laughs) (laughs) I know that's like, I probably should have said like sweaty pubes or something, but (laughs) those are great. (laughs) Those are great. But hubris is something that I think uh, when someone is that kind of arrogant, it suffuses everything they do. They're going to be a bad lover. They're going to be selfish. They're going to be emotionally detached. Um, They're not going to be patient or take their time with you because they're the only one that matters and they're really invested in their own narcissism and making themselves feel good. So they're the worst. They're the worst. So I just, when people are really narcissistic, it's a big turnoff. Yes. Um, I have no interest in, it's interesting because like in books, I really love the kind of heroes that are sort of like vaguely psychopathic or yeah, sociopathic, it, you right. know? The um, anti-hero. The anti-hero. Oh, the big, the one I learned, the term I learned last year was morality chain. Have you guys heard this? No. Oh. So the morality chain hero, the idea is, is that his love interest is the only thing that tethers him to morality. So... It's sort uh, of like if you fell in love with a serial killer and then you were like, please stop serial killing for me. And they'd be like, fine. Okay. Just for you, fine. babe. But can I keep all the trophies I right, got? Exactly. <laughs> so they don't have any internal moral compass, but they will they will do but it. But they're boo. obsessed with their love interest. And so they will do everything they can for their love interest. Yeah, I like that. So that's hot in a book. But in real life, I need someone, obviously, to have a really strong moral center and a lot of humility. Oh, I'm sorry. Can you differentiate between the two? (laughs) I know. I don't know if you've heard. Yeah, I don't know if you've heard. We're really bad at that. (laughs) Is this a book? (laughs) Oh, this has been so fun. This This has been a really. Yay. 
yeah. really enjoyable, lovely podcast. For I me. know. Look at our lovely podcast Yay. that we have. This is a weird life that I live. I can't I know. believe I get to do this for fun. I know. Yeah, we're it's like great because we're going to start going weekly instead of every other week because we can't just like not do it. <laughs> I'm but, guessing this is another one that we're gonna have to split up though. I don't want to take. Anything I don't know out. how long it's been, but I'm guessing a couple hours. Eh, well, whatever. Edit that out. <laughs> don't edit it anyway. <laughs> okay, so um, our next guest mm-hmm. is going to be somebody that neither of us has met personally, nope. but has had a lot of it, Facebook interaction. That's true. Her name is Tori Brumbaugh. Uh-huh. I'm very excited to talk with her. Me too. Yay. She just posts the most fun things. Oh, she's delightful. She is delightful. Uh, so um, we're going to ask again. I'm tired of asking you guys. <laughs> just <laughs> just fucking uh, do it. Just like us. God. <laughs> so um, we are on Instagram and Twitter. Both of those are T-L-A-L podcast. Got it at T L A L podcast, talk like a lady podcast. Um, and we put pictures up on Instagram and Twitter and we, okay, mostly me, I say stupid shit on Twitter and it's funny. <laughs> and then also we want you to talk to us, send us emails, tell us about your me too, or just, you know interact with us and you can send us emails it's the good stories too right we like good stories we'll maybe we'll read it on our talk about my love of happy endings hello hello so many ways so many ways (laughs) it's t-l-a-l-p cast at gmail and uh we want you to listen listen to us (laughs) we want you to rate (laughs) review subscribe all of it all of all of those things at once (laughs) But also, please go to safehome-ks.org. Yes. Donate. Yeah. Do it. Even if it's just your time. Yeah. It's delightful. Yeah. Good job. Yay. Go team. Thank this you. Thank awesome. you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. This so Thanks for fun. coming over to the basement. I mean, podcast lounge. <laughs> Yay. Uh, I go where the Tank 7 is. Hey, everyone <laughs> does. Don't we all? Everyone does. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. Bye.